We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. I love being able to meet with principals every week through our mastermind. It's a place for high-level, eager-to-improve principals gather together And each week we talk about a problem they're facing and how to overcome that. I'd love for you to join us. Here's what somebody said after a recent hot seat situation. She really appreciated making plans for contacting specific kids that we already know are at risk. That was her one takeaway from a hour long discussion about what she needed to do to improve. It's really, really powerful. I'd love for you to join us. Go to jethrojones.com slash mastermind. And let's schedule a call so that we can talk about whether or not the mastermind is right for you. That's jethrojones.com slash mastermind. This episode is brought to you by John Cat Educational, a professional development publisher serving as the global leader in combining both research and practice in all materials. Find timely PD publications to support yourself and your faculty by visiting them online at us.johncatbookshop.com. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am excited to have Karen Gross on the program today. Karen, welcome to Transformative Principle, and thank you for being part of the program. I'm delighted to be with you, and we're talking about important issues, so I hope they're helpful to people. We sure are. Now, we are recording this in the middle of the coronavirus, but it's actually going to be released in August, and so as you're listening to this, we're going to make some predictions about what's going to happen not knowing all the answers. So hopefully we are very prescient and can know what's going on (laughs) when the time comes. But I want to talk to you about how to help kids, what strategies we need to put in place to help kids who have experienced trauma. And since we've all experienced trauma because of the coronavirus shutdown, what strategies should we be putting in place to help kids be successful? So let's start with this. I have an architecture to think about this, the first is that you have to name it and then you have to tame it. 
and then you have to frame it. So let's take each piece to help kids who have been traumatized. You have to start by recognizing that trauma exists and that trauma takes different forms for different children. And what is traumatic for one person is not necessarily traumatic for another. And then once you recognize the existence of trauma and it has an impact on your learning, on psychosocial development, on your wellness, then you focus on how do you tame it? What are the strategies, both short and longer term, uh, to deal with trauma? So let me talk about those. Let's start with this reality. Trauma is invisible and it never goes away. So we can come up with a myriad of strategies, which I'll share with you. But the bottom line is that trauma travels with you, like in an invisible backpack that you carry with you. So in terms of trauma symptomology, there's short-term symptomology, which is when your autonomic nervous system is on high alert. And for students experiencing this, it's normally looked at just as fight or flight or freeze. I'd add in several other Fs, words, not bad words, just F words, faint and fawn. So when students exhibit any of these, fight, flight, freeze, fawn, then you have to say, well, what can we do to relax the autonomic nervous system? What can we do to make sure that either the sympathetic or the parasympathetic nervous systems are allowing us to calm down, not freeze, not be in terror, so that we can open our minds to learning. And the easiest set of strategies for this, although there are many, is to use our senses, our five senses. I've had a sixth sense, which is balance. So any kind of activity that activates the senses allows the brain to reset, and then students can begin to learn. So in classes where there are lots of traumatized kids, it's worth doing these exercises at the beginning of class. And teachers who say to me, well, wait, whoa, whoa, wait, what about all the substance? I say, well, you'll never get to the substance if kids aren't in the right place to be able to learn. So these strategies matter. So let me give you an example. A simple one using balance is to have kids stand up and stand on one leg. Usually they're non-dominant leg. And to be able to do that, you actually have to concentrate on it. And you have to hold it there for 30 seconds without holding on. And what that does is it forces your brain to think about balance and centering yourself. And then after that, you switch legs, do it again, and then you're able to start to learn. So there are a set of exercises like that. And after the initial... Let me ask you a question about that because it doesn't seem like standing on one leg is a trauma sensitive strategy because you could just do that, right? So how does that get the kids to focus on their senses 
so that they can allow the brain to reset. What happens there? Is it just focusing on anything, any sense, you know, balance, standing on one foot, or does there need to be something tied in with that? So all of the senses have activities that are tied to them. And what the senses do is they get into the autonomic nervous system, which is what is causing kids to have fight or flight or freeze or faint or fawn responses. And it mitigates those. And they're not immensely complex necessarily. The feelings of the autonomic nervous system being on high alert, though, are ones that some people are aware of, other people are not. So what you're doing is you're refocusing someone, you're allowing their brain to shift to something else, you're taking it off from wherever it was, moving it to a new place so that you create an open door. Here's an example. Take your fist and put your thumb inside your fist, okay? So you have your thumb and then your fingers around it. You with me here? That's your brain. Okay, that's your brain. The finger part at the top is your cognition. And it's immensely complicated how people cognate, but that's your cognition. The thumb inside in there is your limbic system, the feeling system. And your wrist part at the bottom is your elementary brain, your low-level brain. Now, one of the things that happens when your autonomic nervous system is on high alert, if you flip your hand open, that's why you can say you're flipped out, your cognition and your feeling capacity go away. All that's operating is the lower brain, the primitive brain. So if you now go back and put the thumb in and the fingers around, and you say, what will allow us to get to the feeling brain, which is higher up than the bottom, and the cognitive brain? And the answer is you got to do something with this primitive brain part at the bottom, which is operating through the autonomic nervous system. Does that help? Yeah, that definitely does. Sorry for interrupting. Let's keep going with some examples of strategies. Sure. Well, those are short-term strategies. When kids have been deeply traumatized, they show trauma symptomology beyond the autonomic nervous system response. And most people call it biphasic. I think it's triphasic. Students can be what I call dysregulated. Those are the students who act out uh, shout, bang on tables, throw things, scream, fight. Then there are students who are isolated and who don't participate, who don't engage, who sit in the back, who look out the window, who don't want to talk, who eat alone. And then there's a third category of students who are what I call over-regulated. Those are the ones who many people in my day would refer to as goody two-shoes. These are the kids who do everything you want and then some. Give me some more work. What can I do to please you? What more can I do to get ahead in reading, math, English? And those kids are often not recognized as traumatized 
because they're acting actually in ways that make it easier, not harder for teachers. Mm. So when you've got kids who are either dysregulated, isolated, or overregulated, and you can be in a given day, all three, or just one of them, (laughs) the question then is what can teachers do to deal with these symptoms, which are beyond the autonomic nervous system symptoms. And so now we're talking about a set of strategies that have a longer term effect. So for starters, it helps to recognize what's going on. So the students aren't doing this because they're aggressive or hostile or alienated or it's not personal to the teacher, something happened to them. And so if you just shift your lens a little bit, so instead of blaming the kid for his or her behavior, you say, wait a minute, what caused the behavior? What happened to the kid that's leading them to act this way? And then once you do that, you move out of a punitive framework, like they got to go to the principal or we have to punish them or something. Instead, we try to think of constructive ways to help them deal with their symptoms, recognize what they are and mitigate them. So I believe in what's called processing in place, which is you deal with these issues, not by sending the student out of the classroom but by trying to deal with it in the classroom, even if that requires bringing someone else in. But the idea of sending a kid away who's acting out or becoming isolated as a pathology is not right. It isn't. It's a response to a traumatic event. Yeah, I think that that is so important, something that I've been trying to help people understand for a really long time. Because if if that's all you're doing is just sending someone away, you're really not giving them an opportunity to to deal with it because once they're out of that system, then they're they're not acting in the same way that they would be otherwise. And so, you know, you talked about doing something to get their their brain to reset, and leaving the room could get their brain to reset, and then they can't deal with it appropriately as they should, and that makes it really tough for them to uh, find success in the future. I agree with you. It also is important for the other students. Other students know and often see, oh, there's the bad one. He or she is being sent out of the classroom. And by the way, they're often misdiagnosed or treated with drugs or other kinds of interventions. If students see what's happening and can recognize that you can deal with this in the classroom, processing in place, then not only does the student who had trauma symptomology learn something, but so do all the other students. But you need teachers who are trauma-trained, need teachers who know trauma-responsive strategies. You need a trauma-responsive institution. So you need both micro and macro trauma-responsiveness. Hey, guess what? I've got a book coming out. How exciting is that? It's called School X, and it's all about helping you as a principal be a designer of your school and not just a manager. So I hope you'll check it out. You can download the free chapter at schoolx.me.
So just go to schoolx.me to download the first free chapter. And once you get it, hit reply to the email and tell me what you think. Looking forward to sharing that with you. That's schoolx.me. And on that piece, one of the complaints that people would make about processing in place is that you're not respecting that student's privacy. What's your response to that? Well, I think it depends what the student is doing. But clearly, by acting out already, that student has exhibited behavior that everyone has noticed. It's not like they acted out in secret or isolated themselves. And this is not about humiliation. This is not about singling someone out for doing something wrong. This is about helping a student navigate the world they inherited. And actually, instead of it breaching their privacy, it helps them to engage. I mean, one of the major strategies here is engagement and reciprocity. If you kick a kid out, you don't get that. If you allow a kid to re-regulate in a classroom or re-engage or participate with peers, you're not breaching their privacy. You're actually enriching their development and enabling their success. Yeah, and I think that's a really important piece that is easy to not see or to not pay attention to because what you're doing in that situation is you're not if you're coming at this from a trauma-focused approach, you're hoping to find out what causes behavior and prevent it from happening in the future. You're not looking to punish the kid. And so if that's your goal and that's what your purpose is, then it's a lot easier for you to manage that processing in place. If your goal is to embarrass, belittle, and punish the kid, then yeah, you should take him out and do that someplace else in private. You shouldn't be doing that anyway, but a lot of uh, educators resort to that. But if you're processing in place, you're not only helping that one student learn how to manage their behaviors and emotions and all that, but you're also helping the other students in the classroom recognize how they can also manage those things that they're experiencing, which is incredibly vital for their success as well. Absolutely. So let me give you one strategy that enables processing in place and recognizes, as will be true when school reopens, whenever that is, kids will be coming in traumatized at different times, in different ways, manifesting itself differently, whether their autonomic nervous system is or is not on full alert. So here's the thought. Every kid should have a block, one side of which is red and one side of which is green. Or it could be two blocks, a red block and a green block. And depending on how they're feeling that day, that's the block they ought to put on their desk. If they put green, they're ready to engage and participate. If they have red, it's an indication that they're struggling. And it's self-evaluation of how they're feeling. Now, it doesn't much matter on a given day if a kid has red there. But if they have red for three or four days in a row, that's a signal to the teacher. Whoa, wait a minute here. This kid's really, really struggling and admitting it. Let me talk to that student, not publicly and say, oh, my God, you've had your um, you know, red block out for three days. It's yeah. just to walk by his or her desk and say, so what's going on? Are you okay? I've noticed that you've had your red block out for a few days. Is there something I can do that would help you? 
Yeah. And being able to give kids the opportunity to talk through that is a, uh, is powerful no matter what age they are, what challenges they're facing, those things always help them. So I I really appreciate that. Let's do one more strategy. That's a long-term strategy to help kids who have experienced trauma. Sure. So I don't know if you've ever heard of Kimochi's. Um, K-I-M-O-C-H-I-S. It's actually the Japanese word for feelings. But they're little sort of stuffed critters that have feelings written on one side of them. Happy, sad, upset, brave, courageous, frightened, scared, strong. So they're all multicolored. And I've done this as a leader. I've also done it as a teacher. If you put a lot of them in a bowl and you say to students, take one that represents how you're feeling today and either put it in your pocket or put it on a carabiner on your backpack. And if you start feeling differently on a different day, swap it out for another feeling. And one of the advantages of this is that it allows people to recognize it's okay to have feelings. Feelings also change. Not all feelings are easy or good, but it allows one to get at those feelings without either confrontation or some other sort of difficulty. Sometimes it's hard for people to say their feelings, but they know what they are. Or if they were looking at a bucket with 15 feelings in there, they could pick out the one that they were experiencing. So I think those are very valuable, either in a principal's office, just sitting there, encouraging people to take them and exchange them, or in a classroom. Yeah, that's really good. I like that. One of the things that we've done in my schools is we've done a uh, fidget box for the kids where they have different things that we put inside so that when they're feeling dysregulated or anything else, they can they can take something out of the box and use it to help them regulate their behavior and feel better. And it's been a really, really great opportunity to see what kinds of ways kids can start self-regulating themselves so that they're not, you know, just constantly feeling like they're doing something wrong or they can't get something right or, you know, whatever. And it's been a really neat, neat thing to be able to see how that has helped and supported kids that, you know, sometimes haven't felt supported before. Can I add something to that? Yes. So that the idea of your fidget box is something I've done with a play table and Mm -hmm. and it may be really helpful for teachers when schools reopen. So a play table could be in the teacher's room and it has lots of manipulables there everything from slinkies to Play-Doh to coloring to Legos. And what it allows you to do if you're struggling is to focus on whatever is on the play table until you can re-regulate. And indeed, in meetings, when we first get back after the pandemic, it's probably really useful to have buckets of playthings around. Um, Now, this also works with children, by the way, play tables where kids who can't concentrate 
know that they can go to a play table for a while. Now they can't stay there all day, every day, but they can go to a play table and then come back when they're ready to concentrate again. And I think one of the things we're going to find when schools restart is that students' attention span is shorter. And many people thought it was short already, but it will be yeah. even shorter in part because they haven't been in school and they haven't lived in that kind of structure, but also depending on how the online learning has gone, they may not be used to concentrating for extended periods. And by the way, if you're not concentrating online, it's not like somebody always knows that you're not concentrating. Right. So I think the play table idea may be a really good thing to do and have ready when schools reopen. Yeah, absolutely. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says stop talking and start doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. So the last question I asked Karen is, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you? <laughs> well, this week, I think, and let's assume for purposes of answering this, that the pandemic is, is ongoing and schools haven't reopened, I think principals can reach out to all of their students and staff and teachers and coaches. And whether they do that by email or they do that by calling them or they do that by some video mechanism, I think making connections during the time that school is not in session is critical and it actually will be transformative because it will establish a connection so that when schools reopen, there hasn't been what I call the COVID gap, which is a gap where there's been no engagement. So I encourage principals to reach out, to be bold and creative and do it in a myriad of ways with students and with teachers and staff and coaches. Yeah, very good. Uh, thank you so much for being part of Transformative Principal. You can connect with Karen at karengrosseducation.com and you get links to all the things we talked about today at transformativeprincipal.org slash episode 346. Once again, thank you so much, Karen, for being part of Transformative Principal. It's been my pleasure. I hope the suggestions are helpful to people. Thank you to our valued partner, John Cat Educational. If you are a leader looking to make transformative change by providing yourself and your leaders and teachers with professional development that is research-based and rigorous, yet easy to digest and full of practical strategies, check out the latest publications from John Cat. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com to find information on bulk orders or learn much more in our show notes. You can also use the code TRANSFORMATIVE to save a bundle at us.johncatbookshop.com.
Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E.